So Robin and I have mentioned before that uh, our son Adam and his wife Stephanie are in the process of adopting Blake, who is the same age as their son Easton. Easton's five, and Blake is also five, just a few months behind Easton, and they're adopting him. And so we watched a video last night of Adam and Stephanie explaining to the two boys that mommy now has a baby inside her stomach because Stephanie's pregnant. After five years of trying to have another baby and that not happening, and then deciding that they would adopt Blake, she's now going to have a baby. Now, I thought about saying to you this morning, I thought, and it's triplets, (laughs) but that's not actually the case as far as I know. But they are going to have a baby, that is true, and it was actually wonderful to watch the boys uh, hear that news last night. We just watched this video that they'd sent to us, and it was really cute. Uh, At one point in the process of telling them, Stephanie said, you know, and I have a baby inside of me, and and they wanted to know when he he or she was going to come out, you know, was this like tomorrow or what? And, uh, you know, she said, no, it's going to be in October. And then (laughs) Blake all of a sudden looked at her and said, are you sure? (laughs) <laughs> which was quite, quite cute. So we have gone, Robin and Kelly have gone from having one grandchild uh, about a year and a month ago to in October, we will have four, like instantaneously this happens. So those of you who think, wow, this is going to happen for me. It can happen in a flash. You can have so many grandchildren all at once. That's what's going to happen to us. You know, we, we try to go down there for the, for the kids' birthdays as, you know, as much as we can to keep those relationships alive. What do you do when all of a sudden you go from one to four? That, that's a bunch of trips a year. So we'll see what happens. A few weeks ago, we had an annual general meeting that we have, uh, haven't had one in a long time, but we did have one, and that's good because we, as we recently discovered, uh, that we were legally obligated to have those and had not been keeping up. One of the things that I appreciated at the annual general meeting was that Daryl Bean uh, was pointing out the difference between being a legal church member and being a spiritual church member or a biblical church member for kingdom purposes. We have obligations that are part of living in our society and we have obligations that are part of living as members of God's family. And that makes sense. Jesus said... Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. One of the things that you should all know is that in order to be a legally voting member of the official society of the Calgary Church of Christ, according to our bylaws, as filed with the province of Alberta, you have to have had made a financial contribution to our church budget in at least five out of the previous eight quarters. Okay, so in the last eight quarters, in order to be a legal member of our society, you had to have made a financial contribution to the church in at least five of those quarters. Well, that legal obligation has nothing to do with being a member of the church of Jesus Christ, nor being a member of our church under the care of our shepherds, but it has everything to do with being a legal member in attendance at a legal meeting of the Society of the Church of Christ. So when we have our annual general meeting next year, which will probably happen, I would guess, in January, when we had that meeting, if some decision was made and you were going to be voting, if you haven't become a legal member in terms of financial contribution, then you can't actually vote. It doesn't matter if you've been here for 50 years. That's just the way things are. So as part of our obligations to Caesar... 
if you want to be part of the society, you have to do what Caesar says. And in this case, because this is in our bylaws, we have to make financial contributions to our church. And there is, I suppose, some overlap then between rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and rendering unto God the things that are God's because rendering unto God means giving a financial contribution as well. And that is, in fact, what's on my mind this morning. But here's what's interesting. It's kind of impossible for me to feature that one of our church members, somebody who says, I want to be part of our church, hasn't made a contribution financially to our body for five of the last eight quarters. That would seem odd to me if that would be the case. So there is a difference at the practical level between being a legal member of the Calgary Church of Christ and being a member of our church family. But if it comes down to this financial contribution being the only real difference, then there shouldn't be any difference. Because Christians ultimately should be doing the same kind of things in this sense that a legal member of our society would do. I just, again, can't imagine that somebody would be a member of our church and then not in the last eight quarters, last couple of years, not have made a financial contribution in at least five of those eight quarters. That just makes sense to me. So, given all the Bible says about what we're to do with our finances, it would be a bit odd, then, if a disciple of Jesus Christ, which is what we've been talking about now for months, who also wants to be part of our church, a sheep under our shepherds, would not have made a financial contribution to our church during the last five or five of the last eight quarters. Because a disciple, as one who is following Jesus, is going to do the kind of things that Jesus would want his children to do. And so discipleship somehow, I think, is involved with our finances. And it just doesn't seem to me like we could get out of that or that we would even want to get out of that. We want to do at least as much, I would think, as the government wants us to do. We want to do, in fact, more than what the government would want us to do. We want to do ultimately what God wants us to do. Now, our giving has little to do with what organization to which we want to belong. It has everything to do with the one to whom we belong. And I think you would agree with that. Like, I would hope that nobody would look at this this morning and say to themselves, well, I guess if I'm going to be a member of the church, I'm going to have to start giving so that I can at least vote. That would seem to me a strange kind of statement or attitude. In fact, I would say the question of what we do with our finances eventually comes down to the question of lordship and whether or not we are willing to render unto God the things that are God's because he is the Lord of our lives. And that maybe is the question. Anybody who hasn't made some kind of financial contribution to our church in five of the last eight quarters... I would think would have some serious questions to ask about who their Lord is. That makes sense to me. Who is your Lord? And so we have at least a couple of questions, actually, that I want to ask this morning. 
One is, who is the Lord of your life? And what does it mean to follow Jesus with your finances? So let's deal with the first one. Who is Lord of your life? Seriously. Who is it? And maybe we should just pause for a moment and ask that question, at least inside ourselves. Who is it that is really Lord of you? And I would say that if you're a Christian here this morning, and if all of this of which we're part means anything, it means that as a Christian that you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Master of your life. In fact, probably for most of us, at some point, somebody asked us that question. And it probably went something like this. Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? And do you give your life to him as Lord and Master here just now before your baptism? For many of us, that's the question that was asked. And we answered in the affirmative, I think, before our baptism. I doubt any of you said, well, no, I don't want him to be my Lord, but would you please baptize me? Instead, we said, yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I confess him as Lord. And then on that basis of that confession, that admission within ourselves, we said, yes to Jesus and let's be baptized. And we were. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 makes it clear that the basic difference between a pagan idol worshiper and the Christ follower is the confession that one makes that Jesus is Lord. Acts 2.36 says that it's God who has made Jesus Lord and Christ, and our proper response is to believe in him as Lord. When Paul spoke to the gospel to the Philippian jailer, in Acts 16.31, the jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus. And so there's no question, really, I don't think, about who we at least say Jesus is to us. He is our Lord. In fact, that's who we are. We're the people who say Jesus is Lord. He's our ruler. He's our master. He is our God. And because we say that about Jesus, there are responsibilities. I don't know how to get around this. There are obligations. There are things that God expects from us because we're making the affirmation that he is Lord. And so if Jesus is really Lord, it must mean something in our lives. And in fact, it does. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's on page 820 if you're looking at a pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And, you know, I'm one of those people who loves theology. I loved it. Where's David? David, I loved it when David is in the middle of the Lord's Supper. And I don't know if he even noticed that he did this, but he quoted Karl Barth, my favorite theologian, in the middle of the Lord's Supper. It's fantastic. But I want you to watch the theology of what goes on here with giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And by the way, the grace that he's about to talk about is the gift of being able to give. That's what grace means here. Grace in this passage refers specifically to the opportunity we have to give financially to the Lord. It's fascinating. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, that's interesting language, for the privilege of sharing in his service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Did you catch that? Notice what's going on here in terms of the believer and the Lord. Verse 5 says again, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves, what's the text say, church? First to the Lord. And then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace. Again, notice the grace that's there on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not communicating... I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so the act of giving is a grace. It's a gift. And it comes specifically from the Lord Jesus and pertains specifically to the Lord Jesus when we give financially. So, you know, I, I don't talk about the giving thing very much. Once a year, the elders have kind of said to me over the last few years, we want you to talk about giving at least once a year. Today's the day. Okay? I don't like talking about this very much. It feels uncomfortable to everybody. But it shouldn't be uncomfortable for us to talk about who the Lord Jesus Christ is to us. Who is he, he is Lord, he's the master, he's the one that we say that we serve, that we honor with all of our lives. And the text says in verse 5 that they gave themselves to the Lord first. And that's what we do, we give ourselves to him first. And that's all because of verse 9. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is Lord And he extends his grace. And that grace requires of me that I give back to him myself. As I'm devoted to him as Lord. Now, the fact is, there's more here than just the lordship of Christ that's discussed in terms of motivation for giving. It is a gift. It is a grace. There is joy and generosity, it says, in response to Christ's graciousness graciousness to us. And that all moves us to give. We view it as a privilege, the text says. We view it as service to others. And we've talked about service and what that means as far as being a disciple. But specifically, Paul says that the Macedonian churches gave out of grace. The Macedonian churches gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave to the support of the church. The text specifically says that. And so the question is, have you given yourself to Jesus? Is he Lord? Now, I think if I ask most of you, is Jesus Lord of your lives? I think you would say yes. You might say, well, sometimes I fall down, and you know, he's not always 100% of the time the dominant theme in my life, although I want him to be. But if he's Lord, if that's the claim that you make, then the response of the church in the early days was to actually give financial support to the work of the Lord because of their lordship that they saw in Jesus. And if we see the same kind of lordship in him 
and we're giving ourselves to him in the same way that they did, it means for us some kind of financial response. I just don't see how lordship, Jesus' lordship in our lives can mean anything less for us than a serious look at our finances and asking the question, what am I doing financially in terms of the lordship of Jesus? So lordship's serious, and we need to take it seriously. Well, what does it mean to follow Jesus with our finances? That's the second kind of question, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. This is on page 773, if you're looking at a pew Bible. 773, Acts chapter 4. And this one, too, is fascinating to me, although it is incredibly challenging. In fact, this is so challenging that some of you, like, we're going to read this, and you're going to go, really? Really, Kelly? Are you expecting this? Are our elders expecting this? No, we're not. It's only Jesus who's expecting this. Look at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Now I could stop right there and we could just discuss that for a while. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Those people were serious. You know what's fascinating to me? Is that we are people who say that we want to do everything in replication of the early church. And yet in my 44 years of being a Christian, I know of absolutely no one who has ever done this. Not one, including me. Now it's possible that someone could have done it and I don't know about it. And I'm sure that it's happened since the year 33 or whatever. But isn't that interesting? Like just stop for a moment and think about what these people were doing. They were selling their land. They were selling their houses. They were taking their goods and pulling them together. And nobody had need because everybody was giving all these things to the Lord. Now, again, as soon as I say that, if you're like me, your mind is probably thinking, well, is that what he really expects? Is that what I'm really supposed to do? Is that what you're really asking for, Kelly? Well, honestly, I'm not sure what to do with this. In our world, in our society, this is such a challenge that it just goes way beyond what I can hardly think about. And of course, we all have responsibility. We we still have a place that we have to live in. You know, it's like you can't take all the food that you have and give give all that you have to the poor because you'll have nothing to eat. You can't stand at the grocery counter in line and think, well, it's the polite thing to let someone go in front of you, and then you let everybody go in front of you, and you never pay for your food. 
You just stand there all the time waiting. Well, none of those things make sense. I realize something has to be done here in terms of thinking this through rationally and making a choice. And But I just find it interesting that in 44 years of being a Christian that I don't know anybody who has actually done this. That's interesting. Are we that far from where they were? And again, I'm not sure what to do with that. Now, the thing that I really want you to notice is verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. This is interesting. In verses 32 through 37, that whole section in talking about what the church does, verse 33 is the only verse that's talking about something other than an action in which they were participating. Which means that verse 33 becomes kind of the theological foundation for the whole thing that's going on. So it says, again, with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. This is the foundation. That's the truth. Jesus Christ, as Lord, becomes the foundation for all of their actions. Everything else in verses 32 through 37 is simply a response to this claim about who Jesus is. And here's the point. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus and his grace becomes in their lives a power that moves them to act as they do, which is incredibly unusual. It is bizarre for these people to do this. They share with others everything they have, And the power to do so is because of the Lord Jesus. Because he is Lord. We think that the power being referred to is the miracles performed, perhaps. I don't think that the power that's here is just talking about the performance of miracles or speaking in tongues or healings or whatever that are going on. The power that's really being discussed here is the power to take people who have possessions and transform them into people who give their possessions. That's the real power. When the Lord Jesus works powerfully in this way, in their lives, a power that moves them to act as they do, that's how they behave. They start acting in total contrast to everybody else around them. It's like Zacchaeus climbing up in a tree and then going down and having a meal with Jesus and saying to the Lord, I'm going to give back everything. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. I'm going to keep serving people now that I know Jesus. So the question of whether or not you give financially to the church does not come down to questions about how much disposable income we have. Or what kind of tax benefit that you get when you give. And it doesn't even come down to Kelly standing up once a year and making everybody feel really guilty. And it certainly shouldn't be a question of our legal obligation to be a member of some society. What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? It means that somehow this is going to impact even our finances. And whether or not you give appropriately 
comes down to the question of who the Lord is. You know, this week I had a, a great conversation with some people who had just immigrated to Canada. They came here like many wanting a better life for themselves and their family. And as it turned out, they actually had a very good life where they were previously living. Good enough that they had the means to come here where there's far less crime and way more freedom. And so they chose to come and live in Canada. It cost them, though, everything that they had in the previous country. And so basically they exchanged all their wealth that they had in a previous country. They exchanged all of that to come and take up status in Canada at a level far less than what they had before they came here. Now, they explained to me that normally this would have really bothered them. You know, they they had so much in their previous country. They saved a bunch of money because they had done very well financially. They came here wanting a different kind of life, and they get here, of course, in a place like Calgary right now. Jobs jobs are hard to come by. The economy is not great. And so they have struggled financially since coming here, even though in their previous country they had done so well. And the, the husband said, boy, normally that would really bother me because economically we're worse off now than we were before. But here's what he said happened. He said, we started attending your church. And during the course of learning more about Christ and faith, we've decided that the joys of life are simply not dependent on what you have. In fact, These people said that they specifically are coming to see that the joy of life is found in a relationship with Christ and in serving others. And so they said to me, we have seen this church serving poor people, the homeless, and we have seen that this is the kind of service where the life of joy really comes. And I'm sitting there listening to them tell this story and I'm thinking to myself, they get it. They get it. You give the things away that dominate you and you end up with more joy in the end. And that's exactly how God says it will be. When the lordship of Jesus begins to impact your life as God wants, the control that your finances have had over your life begins to be supplanted by the control of the Lord Jesus over your finances. And the result is a transference from what you think is going to be joy to a real joy. You go from thinking that something is a priority to something that really should be a priority. And God in the process will bless you. So what do we do? Well, if you're like most people, you operate on the basis of a monthly budget. And what I'm asking this morning is that you make sure the Lordship of Jesus has an impact on and a place in that budget. In fact, I would say you should start with March 2017. So you have two days to think about this. I think that you should seriously think about rendering to God what is God's. I can't begin to tell you what to give, but I can tell you That once you have said Jesus is Lord, that things should change. 
And I'm hoping that you'll make a regular contribution to the church of which you are a member. Because after all, even the government of Alberta expects that from our members. And I would think that the Lordship of Jesus should be just that much more compelling. Let's pray. Father, the sermon this morning is not about giving. You know that the sermon this morning is about your lordship. It's about the control that you have in our lives. It's about the impact that you're supposed to have. And God, I just pray this morning that all of those of us who have said that you are Lord will think about what that really means. I'm not sure what to do with selling our properties, placing that at the feet of the apostles. That's a tough question. We, we don't want to just circle around it. Um, but it's hard even for me as I say those things and read those passages to know what to do with that. But nonetheless, God, it's so clear that there is a response here that you expect from us that you saw actually carried out in Christians in days past. Help us, Father, to submit to your lordship and to have your lordship impact us in in wonderfully freeing kinds of ways as the joy of giving so much to you blesses our lives. Through Christ that we pray. Amen.